Well, we'd like to thank all of you for attending this conference today. And I think that tonight you're going to find that we're going to share a lot of great information that's going to answer a lot of questions that many of you may have regarding benefits, specifically benefits that are provided by the Social Security Administration. And today we're really fortunate to have one of the experts in this area, and it's Mr. Gordon Chang. Gordon, you want to tell everybody a little bit about you and your history with Social Security? Thank you, Dr. Bill. Um, good morning, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to attend our conference. Um, uh, just a simple reminder, can everybody just silence their smartphones for me? Thank you. Um, my name is Gordon Chen. I am a Social Security specialist. I answer the 800 calls on the National 800 Network for Social Security. So we cover topics um, such as supplemental security income, Social Security disability, Medicare, retirement, survivor benefits, widows, and the list goes on. So there's a lot of detailed information. Uh, you may be a little overwhelmed at times, but uh, if you have any questions, uh, come see me after the, the presentation or I can give you other resources. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go ahead and do a lecture on the different types of benefits that people with low vision may be available to them. And then we're going to open it up to questions. So at the end, all of you could then answer, ask your questions, and we'll be happy to answer those. Uh, this seminar is also being recorded by Airs LA. And many of you may be familiar with Airs LA. It's a nonprofit organization that records hundreds of hundreds of different types of podcasts from magazines to lectures such as this where you can learn the latest about those services and those things of interest to people with low vision. So this will be available at www.airsla.org. Again, it's www.airsla.org. That's airsla.org. And we'd like to thank uh, Mr. Dick Burden for doing the recording today. Now, one of the things that we're often asked as eye doctors at the Center for the Partially Sighted is, are there any types of benefits that I might be entitled to? Because that I'm visually impaired, I can't work the way that I used to or I could only work part-time because of my vision. And they often wonder if there are any kinds of benefits that may be available to them. One of the things that we do, we do explain to the people who are visually impaired that there are different levels of classification of vision impairment. There are some people who are classified as being legally blind. And what legal blindness means is that with the best pair of glasses in your better eye that your vision must be 20 over 200 or worse in your better eye with glasses or contact lenses. So this means that a person can be classified as being legally blind and still have vision. It's very important to understand that because many people think that in order to be legally blind, you have to be totally blind, and that is not true. So if a person is classified as being legally blind by their eye doctor, they may be eligible for a variety of different types of benefits, some of those of which we'll talk about today. 
There's a second way that a person may be classified as being legally blind as well. A person who has reduced peripheral vision such that they could only see straight ahead within the central 20 degrees, a person may still have 20-20 vision, but if they only have limited peripheral vision, they could also be classified as being legally blind. So we see that there's many times people who have retinitis pigmentosa or glaucoma, and they could still read print quite well, they also can be classified as being legally blind, and this could open them up to be eligible for receiving different types of benefits. So the first thing is that I'd like to ask Gordon, does a person have to be classified as being legally blind to receive benefits from Social Security? Uh, I want to start by apologizing. I do have a bad cough, so um, keep that in mind. I have gone to the doctors, and they assure me that um, it's just an allergic reaction to public speaking. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the simple answer to your question is I do not make any of those determinations. If you feel that you may qualify for Social Security benefits, I want to start by giving you two very common resources. That's the 800 number, 800-772-1213, and our website, www.socialsecurity.gov. When you make an appointment, uh, uh, we will either examine your medical evidence or send you to one of our physicians to be tested. So you don't even have to... uh, concern yourself with whether you would qualify or not. They will make those determinations. Secondly, you can actually expedite your claim off our website by filling out the four specific components. Uh, Foremost is the Adult Disability History Report. So these tools will help us screen you whether you'll be qualified for either one of our programs. Now, what uh, is the main difference between the two programs? I know that one program that Social Security offers is Social Security Disability, and the other is Supplemental Security Income. Um, What's the difference between those two programs? It would take certainly a lot more than an hour for me to explain those programs, but in a brief summation, Social Security Disability is offered to those who have worked primarily five years in the last 10 years and have paid into the program versus someone who, let's say, my child is uh, vision impaired at the age of six and has never worked because of his age and uh, his inability to work. That is the supplemental security income, and it would be uh, more of a social welfare type program. So those are the two main differences. But the effects on your benefits and everything else, such as uh, your ability to work and how your work earnings affect those programs, are vastly different. So let's talk first about the Social Security Disability Income. You mentioned that, first of all, that a person has had to have earned income or been employed for five of the last ten years. And is it possible that many people who do work have never put money into SSDI? Let's say, for example, my father, who 
was a gardener when he was working, I don't know that he would have put money into Social Security disability. Are there jobs that people actually do not put money into the Social Security disability income fund? Uh, as you can realize rather quickly, there are many complex situations, and each of us have individual circumstances. Um, yes, there are many different types of jobs, and um, that brings up a whole different area of what they call the uh, government pension offsets. And But, yes, but there are many types of jobs that do not pay, contribute into Social Security disability, but rest assured, if you make that call, we will screen you for every possible benefit. We will check your earnings versus your number, so we will make the determination whether <clears throat> you'd be eligible for regular disability, SSI, or even both. You can be um, actually approved for both programs at once. So the first step that a person who knows that they have worked in the past, and they would basically call either the 800-772-1213 and speak to a representative such as yourself, or is it better for a person to try and to do this online and fill out this information? Is there a preferred method, or are both of them equally effective? Because of the severe budget issues that are facing uh, our, us as a country, we highly recommend that you assist yourself by logging on to our website and do and complete as much as you can off the website so that even if you were to need a subsequent interview, at least the primary components are already uh, established. Primarily, uh, you would give us the background of your work history, and that would help expedite the claim. Now, once a person has gone to the website, uh, socialsecurity.gov, is that site accessible? You know, many of the people here are totally blind and others are partially sighted. Is that website uh, modified or accessible for people with low vision? Yes, it is. It's uh, very accessible. I use it on a daily basis, and I'm totally blind. Keep in mind that uh, <clears throat> there are things... It's a very simple format. You can answer yes or no questions. You can have edit boxes. You can have combo boxes, all the typical things of any website. Um, so it, it is rather accessible. That's great. And if any of you are having difficulties with that website, let's say that you are partially sighted and you need more magnification, or if you need it to speak and read the screen for you, I also just want to make it uh you aware that there are different companies such as uh, Freedom Scientific and AI Squared that they do have demonstration software that you could download to your computer at no charge and then you are able to then view the computer screen in a magnified view or it will then talk and read the screen for you and each of these programs are available for a free download. So this is a great way that if you're having difficulties accessing the socialsecurity.gov site, you could use any of these programs. Um, to do that, you could go to www.freedomscientific.com, and there's a link that has the downloads. 
there's a program called Magic that will magnify your screen for you. There's another program that's called Jaws that will read it out loud. And also another company, the www.aisquared.com, they have their program called Zoom Text that could uh, magnify the screen and read it out loud for you as well. So, Gordon, once a person does have that information in, um, what would happen next? Would they expect to receive a phone call from somebody from Social Security to do a more in-depth interview? Or does the person applying for Social Security disability have to call and try to make an appointment at a local office? After your initial contact with the agency, you will be receiving letters and phone calls and again, you may get a letter to visit one of our doctors for certification. But keep in mind, this does take about four to six months to complete. Now, once a person does receive that notification, um, what would be the range in of terms of income that a person, if they are awarded Social Security Disability Income, um, how much money might they expect to earn? Is that dependent on how much income that they used to make, or is it dependent on other factors? Again, each of us have individual circumstances. The, let's just take SSI. The maximum that a person can receive, um, well, we're talking about blind now. The disability income would be based solely on what you have contributed to your pension in the past, so that will be determined by what you paid in. SSI, there is a limit, and uh, I actually don't have the number in front of me because I don't memorize a lot of the facts because there are just too many small pieces of information. Um, we actually look at a lot of charts at work, and uh, I'm a little unprepared for the SSI blind limits. <laughs> well, I, I, I would imagine there's so many other factors, but in, in general, for a person who has become blind as an adult and they have worked five of the past ten years in the past, uh, they may receive a range of income from SSDI, Social Security Disability Income. And is that particular amount then, does it, does it range from you know, $100 to $500, or what would be that type of range that a person such as, uh, you know, a multimillionaire might earn as compared to a person who was basically working at, at a McDonald's or something? Uh, can you give sort of a range? I know it would be specific for each, but just for our uh, uh, audience, what would be sort of a range that one might anticipate with uh, Social Security disability income? No, I'm going to make a few of you feel bad. Um, it <laughs> varies from $1 to somewhere roughly just slightly over $2,300 a month. Okay. So that's uh, quite a significant uh, range, but a person could earn a substantial amount of income. Let's say that a person was making a decent, decent level of income and had to retire because they could no longer see because of uh, diabetes or macular degeneration. Uh, it could be as high as uh, over $2,300 a month. And when they do receive that contact letter from Social Security, then that is part of what you guys would then explain to the applicant or how much they might receive? There's actually a long series before you get to that stage. The final 
letter that you, everybody would hope to receive is called Notice of Award. Uh, there will be two pieces of vital information. That would be your dollar amount and what day of the month you will receive those benefits. Now, with the Social Security Disability Income, you mentioned that it may take uh, as much as four months just to begin to get correspondence from Social Security. How long might it one expect before they actually would receive a check? Is, is there actually a, a longer waiting period? For example, does a person have to be visually impaired for one year to, to demonstrate that the vision impairment is stable and it's not just a temporary loss of vision? Oh, some clarification. If you apply, you actually receive a what we call a application summary letter within two weeks. During the next few months, we will correspond with you by writing or by telephone to ask, like say you didn't complete certain portions of the application, we will send those out to you in paper format. And as soon as you get your documentation in, we forward your application to the state which the state of California Disability Determination Services. They process your claim for approximately 120 days or four months. They send it back to your local field office. We finalize the claim and send you your award letter or your denial letter right around the five-month to six-month period. And uh, the reason I mention five months is if you are approved, which most of us in this room uh, will probably have received this letter, it tells you that the laws passed by Congress would indicate that you're not eligible for disability payments for the first five months. That's why I used a five-month threshold. So it, right around five to six months, you will receive um, your letter. Shortly after that, you will receive a direct deposit of whatever funds you're entitled to. Wow. So that's also real convenient that they're going to directly deposit it to your bank account so uh, we wouldn't have to worry about someone stealing our Social Security check out of the mail or anything like that. Yeah, it's a mandatory requirement now. So if you were to apply today, you would be asked to either submit your routing number or account number and or they would discuss with you the low-income program called Direct Express or they would put your benefits on a debit card. Now, one of the things that a lot of our patients that come to our center, they often are clients also of the Department of Rehabilitation. And the Department of Rehabilitation, they will help that person to get low vision aids or computer equipment, braille equipment, whatever they may need to help them to get a job. They also will assist them in terms of getting training uh, so that they may be able to pursue a different job. Um, in the event, Gordon, that a person after six months that they were to get a job, let's say that they did receive all of this new equipment and they just started to receive their Social Security disability check in the bank by direct deposit, and let's say that one month later, one month later they got a job, and this job is a job that they're able to uh, perform, um, does that mean that they are not allowed to receive that d disability income just because they have a job? Okay, now we're um, going to address different areas of our, our talk this morning. That would go into the discussion of what we call the trial work period. And uh, again, most of us are 
possibly familiar with that? You have nine months within the first 60 months to earn as much as you can or to what they, what I would term, you know, get your feet wet back out there in the uh, workforce to see if you can possibly re-enter the workforce. So anything you earn within that nine months <clears throat> will not stop your benefits. You can earn two to $10,000 a month without even it, um, reducing or stopping your, your disability payment. Now that's different than SSI, so make that distinction right away. This trial work period only applies for someone who is receiving Social Security disability. So that will give that person a nine-month interval to try this job to see if it's something that they're able to do. And even if they were making a million dollars a month, they would still receive their Social Security disability during that nine-month trial work period. Is that right? That's correct. And um, our program is filled with details. That nine months does not have to be consecutive. So if I try a job for two months and I find it's too taxing on me, I can quit that job, and then two months later I get another job, then that would reduce my nine months to seven months. Therefore, I have a balance to try other types of work. Oh, that's great. That really makes it convenient for the person who has regained that type of employment. And let's say that the person did work for nine months, and they say, you know what, I like this new career. I'm going to continue to work. Does that mean, or let me take that back, is there a limit on how much money that a person can earn per month and still receive the Social Security disability income? Yes, there is. Now we get into different discussions, but if you earn $750 or more, that is a threshold that will determine whether one of the nine months is deducted from your your cumulative amount. So <clears throat> in the first two months, if I, if I only earn $600, I still have nine full months to try my, my, my hand at a new career. If I exceed 750, that will reduce my nine months. You know, each month that I exceed 750, and the threshold is $1,050 or $1,040 for non-blind and $1,740 for, uh, for a blind individual. Okay, so if a person is receiving Social Security disability because of blindness, uh, the person who is legally blind really has a, a major advantage in the sense that they could still earn $1,740 each month and still receive their Social Security disability income. Is that right? That's correct. And there's even additional benefits to uh, or work incentives. I'm not an expert on work incentives. Um, our other guests had a family emergency, could not elaborate on these things, but uh, we do have publications on our website. But some of the things are we can uh, reduce your salary by <clears throat> your transportation costs, your, uh, let's say you have a guide dog that you need to provide uh, food for, your transportation, your other expenses, union dues, health care premiums, 
all these things can reduce your regular salary to keep you under that threshold. Oh, okay. So let's say that a person was paid $2,000 a month. That person still may be eligible to receive the SSDI income because you could then deduct the cost of transportation, the cost of dog food, the cost of veterinarian bills, the cost of health care, and all of those monthly costs that you are paying in order to get to and from work or to continue to do what you need to do to live independently, that can be deducted from that $2,000 that you made. And if then the net amount is 1740 or less, you would still be able to receive that kind of uh, income. Is that right? That is correct. The key here is it may be frustrating to understand and to learn the guidelines in which you have to work within. Keep a strong relationship with your local claims representative. And uh, if you continue to keep informed with them, they'll work with you. There are several areas that are what I consider gray areas. And I myself at one time have been on SSI, have been on SSDI, and, you know, of course now I'm not. But uh, So I, I know every gamut of what some of the f challenges are. Uh, the key is to not get overwhelmed, be persistent, but keep an open channel with the claims representative. And if they see that you attempt to understand the program and know how to manipulate what advantages there are, they will work with you. Now, what about um, medical insurance? You mentioned that SS Social Security Administration is also involved with your Medicare. Many people may be eligible for Medicare. And just talking about a person who is eligible and is receiving the SSDI, Social Security Disability Income, are those people all eligible to receive Medicare health care benefits? They are, but the caveat is it takes effect after 24 months of being on disability. So that's, you know, that's quite a long time to wait. But once you do have Medicare, um, and the other agencies such as Medicaid can come into play. So if, a, if I'm receiving, let's say, $800, which is, you know, uh, on the lower end of the um, SSDI pay scale, and I am eligible for Medicare, I would then call Social Security's National 800 number, and I would be told that there may be a program called the Qualified Medicare Beneficiary Program through the Medicaid program, and they would pay my premiums each month for my Medicare Part B premiums. So if they do qualify, I always tell them, make sure you ask them to make these benefits retroactive. So if I get a letter saying that they're going to take out my Medicare premiums for January and February, which substantially reduce my monthly benefit, I can actually get Medicaid to approve the, my KMB program and be reimbursed for the entire January and February premiums. So there are different programs that are out there besides Medicare which can assist you with your Medicare or medical costs. Now, what about the first 24 months of being disabled? Um, you mentioned that the Medicare 
health care insurance is not available for a person until after they've been disabled for 24 months. What, what's a person like us supposed to do during those first 24 months? Are there any other options that, that we may have? It sure is a beautiful day out there, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no, um, I often get calls pertaining to this, and people are rather upset. I would just say, first of all, call Medicaid, and I would give them a referral number. And then we also have, um, there's a coalition of healthcare providers and experts who have kind of a not-for-profit organization called the State Health Insurance uh, Program, and I would refer them to that number to see if they can get assistance. But Social Security really has a very limited role with medical insurance. But the good thing is that the Social Security Administration, you would refer them to at least another resource that that may be able to help. That's correct. So now what about the other type of benefit that's available, uh, SSI, Supplemental Security Income? Uh, I understand that that is not at all related to whether you have ever worked. In other words, you could be a child who has never had a job in your life, and you may be entitled to SSI. Can you tell us about what is supplemental security income? Well, that's a pretty good summation where you would receive a monthly benefit based on two factors, your medical condition. If you meet the medical condition of blindness, then they would screen you for the non-medical resource and income limits. So we have different scenarios. Let's say my son is six years old and I happen to be a millionaire. Since he is still living under my care, then even though he has a medical condition, blindness, or he would still not qualify for SSI because there are very, very strict income and resource limits. For example, if you're married, you cannot have resources in excess of 3000 A single person would be $2,000. That would include checking accounts, savings accounts, mutual funds, retirement accounts. So basically, uh, this is for people who really need the program, and uh, they do have very strict limitations on your income and resources. So I want to ask another question directly about that. So let's say that a family, you know, husband and wife, a husband just lost his job, the wife just lost her job, they've, they've, they've lost their home, but from their previous employment that they do have a retirement pension, and in their retirement account they have $3,000. Even in a situation like that where the retirement money is tied up, um, they still then would not qualify for SSI because the retirement money counts against them? Well, in that case, they're so close to the limit that I would, if I were to interview somebody over the phone and I hear of this situation, I would take the claim and by the time they get the interview and get approved, they may have spent down the 3000 Okay. So, you know, you just have to be a little flexible, but it is a very complex program, and the local office is inundated with SSI claims. So you can imagine uh, there's, there's quite a backlog in, in our court systems 
But if you do need to qualify for SSI, um, make your application right away because it will take several, several months to get approved. So uh, the income requirements or the income limits for a, a, a family that is applying for the SSI, um, is that then dependent on how many people are in the family or is there just one strict number? You have to make less than $10,000 a year in order to qualify. Or, or does that have a scale that is dependent on how many children and how many adults are in that family? SSI is such a complex program, we have what we call a deeming chart. So you can have a situation where you have both husband and wife, two children. If one of the children are receiving SSI and another is applying, there will be a different dollar threshold. If the parents are working but one is on SSI, that's a different dollar threshold. So every single situation would determine the eligibility. So... There is a range of dollars, which I have not memorized, but it is, it's quite a complex uh, logarithm that they use to determine what the income limits are for that family. Okay. So the, the, the best thing for the family to do is they just have to call and let them let you know what is their income, how many people, and there's probably other questions. Um, can you give us an idea of what is the the range of possible income that a recipient of SSI might get? Is it is it similar to the SSDI where they may earn uh, between one dollar and over twenty three hundred dollars for the SSI, or is it uh, very different? I'm going to be embarrassed once again. I I, I think it's one thousand and sixty six dollars for the blind. $710 for not, oh, I'm sorry, $1,066 for uh, a couple who are non-blind, $710 for an individual in California. It's a little higher. So, I mean, every state has different SSI payments, and I should have uh, gotten the blind <laughs> limits for California, but I did not. So... <laughs> I apologize. No, that's okay. I, I, I don't expect you to have a computer in that head there. <laughs> but so people just have to realize, they have to realize that, you know, the supplemental security income, it is uh, something that definitely would be helpful, but it, it is not the same amount as a person who might have been receiving supple, uh, Social Security disability income. It may be in the range of $700 or less. Is that right? Yeah, and it, it, there, what's challenging about that program is I get hundreds of calls. People would say, well, last month it was 480 now it's 390 Why do I have a reduction? And we have to go through, like, a whole bunch of investigating on the Internet and looking at their record. And then you'd see, like, if the parent has a steady job, one of the parents, and there's two pay periods within a month typically, but in two months out of the year, there's three pay periods that will reduce their SSI payments. Wow. So it's a, a very challenging program to be on, and if you are, let's say, on SSI and you're going to school and you eventually go back into the workforce, one of the incentives for people to reenter the workforce is to someday 
actually be converted from SSI to regular disability. And the only thing that will affect your income, your monthly Social Security pension, while you're on regular disability, is your earnings and wages. So that, that's a major difference between the two programs. One is very subject and, and fluctuates highly with income and resources, and, and the other program is relatively stable unless you go back to work. Now, you had mentioned that it is also possible that a person who has worked in their lifetime at least five years of the past 10 years, but if their total household income is at that lower level, they may be able to receive SSDI plus SSI both. Is that right? Yeah, so let's say I have a limited work experience and my, I'm going to use an non-blind, non-California dollar amount because that's the national number. So let's say $710 is the maximum a person can receive on SSI. If my disability payments are 500 then they would supplement, that's why it's entitled Supplemented Security Income, they would supplement my regular disability $210 to bring me up to the threshold of 710 the bad thing is, every year you get a cost of, oh, the, in the years that you do receive a cost of living adjustment, so let's say that you get an increase in SSI from 210, or your, your regular disability from 500 to 520, guess what happens to your SSI? It, it doesn't increase the national threshold, but you would have a reduction in your SSI from 210 to 190 until you get to the level where you're at $711, then you're totally off of SSI. I don't like that, Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that does become very, very difficult for a lot of people. I'm only a small cog in this (laughs) big wheel. And, you know, when we're thinking about the uh, supplemental security income, the person who does, again, have low income, if that person were suddenly able to get a job, how does their income affect that supplemental security income? Um, is there a similar scale, again, where anything that they earn above $1,740 will then mean that they no longer can receive SSI, or is it is it different? Oh, now we're... Um This is going to be quite shocking, the way that SSI income is calculated. Now, this is a straight calculation, not including blind working incentives or, um, you know, income, um, you know, income-related expenses. So if you were to earn, okay, uh, let me start. The first $65 will not be counted against you if you're solely on SSI, if you're Concurrent, if you have Title II disability and Title XVI SSI, they don't count the first $85. So let's just take a simple example. You work and earn $665, okay? Your SSI is $710. So what we do is we take the first $65. We don't count that. So that brings your earnings to $600, and we would hold back half of your earnings of $600. So... The, your SSI would be reduced 
that month by $300. And the, and the challenging thing is SSI is always reported. That's a reactionary program. So I call in at the end of March to report my earnings. They don't put that on the system for April because it's too late. It may affect May and sometimes June. So your earnings from two months ago. So in our example, you're going to hold back 300. So you're going to take the 710 minus 300. You're going to earn. You're going to receive 410 SSI. You're 665 dollars from your earnings. So you'll be better off. You'll be still at. Let me do some quick math here. Four plus, uh, about 1,075 dollars versus 710. So basically, we're going to hold back half plus, I mean, we minus the $65, but we do hold back half of your earnings and reduce your SSI. But that's okay because the person is still better off. Financially, he or she is better off by working because they do have a, a gross total amount of money that's even greater. Keep in mind that you are earning work credits, so one day... If you accumulate enough, you will be put on regular disability. Secondly, that's not including the expenses that can be used to decrease your earnings at that time. Okay. So let's take that same scenario. A person um, has never worked. They are awarded Social Security, uh, Supplemental Security Income, SSI, because of low income. They then start to get a job, and they're making some money, and after a period of five years, if they have worked five years, mm -hmm. at that point in time, that person may have enough credits that they have put into SSDI so that they may then now be eligible for SSDI. Is that right? That is correct. And uh, when a person only has, if they only have SSI, is that person entitled to any type of Medicare benefits, or is that another person that would be referred to the Medicaid benefits for medical insurance? They would only be eligible for Medicaid. Medicare, once again, you have to be qualified for regular disability or retirement to be entitled to the Medicare program. Okay. So in both situations, whether you are going to be a recipient of Social Security disability income, you may be entitled to Medicare after 24 months. And if you are low income and you have supplemental security income, you may then be entitled to Medicaid for medical insurance. So in both programs, it's nice because the person does have access to medical care. It's just that it's 24 months later. Is that right? For the Medicare, yes. Medicaid, um, they can qualify you right away if you receive social, uh, supplemental security income. Oh, okay. Yeah. So There's if, no wait period for SSI. Oh, that's great. That's really helpful. Jeez. 
Well, you know, I think this information is is really very, 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 very helpful, Gordon. And I think that all of our audience, I think that they have a better understanding of the two plans and how a person may also be entitled to receiving both of them. Um, are you able to uh, take any any questions uh, from our audience? Sure. Let's uh, try a few easy questions. Okay, and what we'll do, because we're recording this, I'm going to repeat the question after you ask that so we have a a real nice recording. Okay, go ahead. Well, the question is, um, her father passed away, and after her father passed away, she was then sent survivor benefits from Social Security. And her question, I believe, is related to where do these checks go? Don't the checks go to you, ma'am? Uh, I can answer that question. That's a, if I were to receive your telephone call at the National 800 number, that would trigger a quick inquiry on my part. There's a program which is not related to blindness, but it's called the Representative Payee Program. So any minor child or any adult who has any questionable ability to handle their own affairs would be put on our what we call the representative payee program. Oftentimes I get a call and I'm simply, I get something, a simple request, I need to change my address. I would ask this person for information and upon the interview, if, if they cannot even identify their own information, right away I would make a referral to representative payee. In your situation, if you do have a conservator it's highly probable that you, your sister is what we call your representative payee. Her responsibility is to make sure that your bills, your food, your utilities are paid for with the Social Security funds. But if you want, give the 800 number a call. You know, if you do receive letters from Social Security, that also brings up another uh, interesting fact. Um, I'm going to segue to different topics here. If you do receive Social Security benefits, we have what we call the special notice options. You can receive those in large print, CD, cassette, tapes. So there's different ways you can receive information. I would highly recommend that you, you know, ask for one of these special options so you can be more informed on your own benefits. Okay, how about another question? Anybody else have a question? The question is, when a person is applying for Social Security disability income and one has to work for five of the past ten years, how is that five years calculated? Does that mean you have to work for 12 consecutive months to be considered as one year, or do you just only have to work part of one year and that will count as working for one year? Thanks a lot, Julian. Making my morning tough here. Um, (laughs) That's going to bring up a topic of uh, quarters of coverage. We don't look at the calendar year necessarily. You can theoretically earn four quarters of coverage in one quarter. It would. I think the threshold is somewhere slightly higher than one thousand dollars. So if you earned $8,000 in one quarter, 
you would earn four quarters of coverage within that one quarter. That may be a little too technical, but uh, it doesn't really depend on the whole calendar year. It depends how many quarters of coverage you can earn within that time span. So if I have a part-time job and only earn $8 an hour but only work three hours a day, I could work for 10 years and still not have any coverage. But if I earn, you know, a substantial dollar amount seasonally, two months out of the year, I could earn four quarters of coverage each year and be qualified for disability. So as a result, if a person is a consultant, say that a visually impaired adult is a IT consultant and that person worked one, one month and if they made $8,000 or $10,000 in that one month, that would be equivalent to working four quarters or one year? That's correct. And then conversely, if a person only worked maybe three hours a day and made minimum wage, even though that they have worked every week of the entire year, they may not have earned enough credits to get credit for one year of, of Social Security disability. That's also correct. One of my pet peeves is people call and say, my neighbor Sally gets, you know, $1,200. I've worked all my life, and I only get $600. Why is that? Well, I'm I hate to put this to you, you didn't really contribute a high dollar amount. It doesn't matter how long you worked. It depends how much you paid in. So in relation to quarters of coverage, the five years is a, our general test that we use. Um, if you're under a certain age of 22, it, there's a lot of little variations, but to keep the conversation simple, the five years of coverage does not mean five complete years. You just need the 20 quarters of coverage. You know, Gordon, I, it kind of brings back a, a memory. I remember once having a patient, and she worked for the state of California, and she worked for over 25 years, and she earned a, a good wage, and she lost her vision because of diabetes, and she had to retire. And when she investigated whether or not she had credits that she had put into Social Security disability income, she found out that there were zero credits. There was something related to the fact that as an employee of the state of California, they weren't putting money into the SSDI fund, was what she had stated. And uh, I guess the first question, if a person is employed, can a person call Social Security to find out whether or not that their employer is making that contribution? And then the second question is, if the employer is not making that contribution, what can one of the members of our audience do? Um, can they make a payment directly to Social Security while they are employed? just as an independent basis if their employer does not make that contribution? Um, the first thing to note is if you work for any type of government entity, well, now it's different criteria. If you, if you might want to check with the human resources. Most people who are a little bit older have what we call not non-covered Social Security. They never pay in because of the type of retirement, but that doesn't mean they're left out without coverage. 
through the state of California, they have their own disability, um, you know, fund. So they don't get Social Security disability, but they would be re uh, entitled to a state disability fund, which actually has a pretty good payout as well. You cannot buy quarters of coverage. So if I'm missing two quarters of coverage to be fully entitled, I cannot pay in $2,000 and be entitled. You have to earn those quarters of coverage through employment. Okay, thank you. Another question? Yeah, the question is this gentleman, he applied for Social Security Disability Income in May of 2012, and it's almost 10 months that has passed, and he hasn't heard from anybody. Um, what should he do, Gordon? I would ask you some basic questions. How did you apply? Did you have a phone interview with your local field office? Did you apply online? I don't mean to sound harsh, but I would almost assume that you would have followed up by calling the National 800 number or the local office. And if you never... I've had communication mm -hmm. with them, but... Sometimes what happens is people call and say, I applied in October, and it's six months. But if I look at the record... We have a line on the, um, well, I don't want to get too technical. Um, it's We have a disability application that we look at, and one of the lines on that query is when the state received your application. So the key is not when you submitted your application, because we're going to request documentation from your doctor. So if your doctor got a request, in November to submit your records, and the state never got them till February, guess what? There's going to be a long delay in your processing of your record because there has been a delay in you getting your medical evidence in. If I were you, I would call the 800 number on Monday at 8 a.m. and inquire about your application. Number two, ask when the state received your, your medical evidence. That would give you a better time frame. Great. And that number, again, is 800-772-1213. You know, that brings up another question. Uh, since you do work on the telephone service side of things, Gordon, what, what would you say is the best time to call? Because I know a lot of our patients have said that they've called and it's been difficult. Uh, you know, the lines have been busy or they had to wait too long. But... Would you say that there's a better time to call, or is there, is, is it even a 24-hour time period that one can call? Call at 10 a.m. or 12.30, because that's when I'm on break. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, in all seriousness, certain days of the month, any time between the 1st and the 5th, are difficult times to call, because both SSI and regular disability and retirement are issued, and if people don't get payments, that's the first thing they're going to do is call the 800 number. Secondly, certain days of the week are, are better to call. Mondays are typically very busy. Fridays are busy. So if you can, call on Tuesday between 7 and 3 or um, possibly Wednesday and Thursday at, this, at that time. <clears throat> but once again, my 
call it 12:30 because I, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> question? The question is, if a person is a recipient of supplemental security income and the person then begins to work the sufficient number of quarters so that the person could then receive Social Security disability income, the first question is, is the Social Security disability income payment, is it added on top of the SSI? And is this something that has been looked into recently so that a person could earn more from S, uh, Social Security? I don't know how to quite answer that question, Tom. Because you fall below the SSI limit, even with your work contributions, your criteria for, for what you're going to earn and what you can receive in benefits is the SSI threshold. Um, does anybody know what the SSI limit for blind California is by any chance? Uh, yeah, so oh, I think it's 930 actually. That's right. Okay. So so let's just use, use 930. If your regular disability is anywhere below 930, Tom, that means that your earnings still are less than the SSI limit. So instead of looking at it in that light saying that you're being cheated out of um, what you paid in, it's actually quite the reverse. They're adding on to your own contributions to make sure that you're at the minimum level. And keep in mind, California, although they've enraged a lot of SSI recipients by re reducing the, the SSI limit twice in the last 10 years, they're well above the national average. So once again, it's $710 in Florida, let's say. So if you're receiving 930, you're still better off, even though the cost of living is higher here. So to answer your question, it's because your own contributions has not exceeded the SSI limit. Therefore, they're still bumping you up to the SSI limit. Next question, please. Yeah, the question is, hypothetically, if a person who is unemployed and is receiving Social Security disability income, if that person then finds an incredible job and that job then pays $100,000 per month, the question is, after working for nine months, does she then lose the Social Security disability income? Social Security benefits are there so that you have a safety net. It's incumbent upon yourself to report your job to us. So in, in your hypothetical situation, it depends what happens. If, let's say I'm the person who, who got this job and I'm making 100 k a year, I would call the 800 number to report my earnings after the second paycheck. They do what we call an, a work report. They will send you a receipt as confirmation that they did process this for you. So in this case, you should get suspended from your disability payments. Actually, they give you two more months of grace, so it may be 10 or 11 months. But after you 11 months and you're still earning over 3000 4000 a month, if you still receive payments, you should call us back and or return the funds, okay? 
In the second scenario, this happens all the time. People think that we have a crystal ball and they never report their earnings. You can receive benefits for years and think that you're entitled to both your wages and your disability payments. Then when the IRS finally catches up to us, we may send you a letter with something like, this notification is to inform you that you've been paid $48,000 too much in Social Security disability benefits. Please re- return those funds to us immediately, in, in which case you would be highly distressed. So, <laughs> so the question is, what about a person who is on Social Security disability income and then they earn a, a great living at a new job and for two years they're working and they no longer receive Social Security disability income because they don't need it. They're making uh, a million dollars a year. They don't need that. And then that person's vision changes and that person is no longer able to work at that job anymore because their vision changed. Does that person then have to go through the entire process again or would there be a, quote, shortcut to help that person to, again, resume receiving the the disability benefit. The key word that you mentioned there is a couple of years. That's a key phrase. The threshold, if I'm not mistaken, is 12 months. So after 12 months, you would need to file a new application. Now, within that... uh, uh, so it's going to be because of the high dollar amount that that you are able to earn. Yeah, it would require a new application. In other instances where the person's income is marginal, they do have, and and it's less than one year, especially they do have what we call expedited reinstatement, which will help you get reinstated quickly. I would um, depends on many factors, but. In as little as 60 days, you can get your payments restarted. But in this scenario where the combination of you having ex- extremely high wages and more than two years, to say, on the job, that would require a new application, unfortunately. Next question, please. The question is, what about a person who is self-employed and is receiving Social Security disability benefits. Um, would that person be able to continue to run his or her self-employed benefit uh, business, and how would that affect the uh, disability benefit? Self-employment has a another set of <laughs> rules. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously the best thing to do is speak to the claims representative because they would look at the number of hours that you're working in combination with your net earned income. And these figures are offset by your blind work expenses and your, you know, your work, your other work expenses. And um, so that that's a little trickier and it's outside the scope of... Uh, my expertise. Next question. Uh, the question is, 
This gentleman has an account, a joint account with another person, and in order to apply for SSI, would it be better that they have a separate account so that the limit would be better? There's a distinction between applying for and receiving SSI in this case. If you're applying for benefits, they are going to look at whatever resources you have. If you have your name on a piece of land, if you have your name on a joint account, <clears throat> that will count against your income and resources. If you are receiving SSI and you call, one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, is your name on the account? You're going to say yes. The second question I'm going to ask you is, is anybody else's name on the account? If you say yes, right away, that would disqualify that as what we call an acceptable account title. For accounting purposes, we need any accounts that you own to be titled with only your name. This is only for SSI, by the way. So in that scenario, if he and his brother had $10,000 in a joint account where his name and his brother's name were both on that same account, uh, you would then recommend that he should open a separate account and put whatever money that he may have, a couple of hundred dollars in there, and then apply for SSI. That way, Social Security would then look at his individual account and they would not look at his joint account that he has with his brother? That's correct. Because if my name is on my account with my brother, I have legal access to those funds. So those funds are going to be counted against me as resources. Yes, let me share an experience I had with SSI. I became totally blind, and in order to kind of ease my loneliness and depression, I bought myself a nice dog, a pedigree dog. When they found out that I wrote a check for $600 to buy this dog back in, God knows, like 1990, they took away $600 and said I owed that money back. Ever since then, I became very crafty in how I uh, approached the program because I felt it was unfair and it is what it is. You, you have to learn the, the rules of the game, and you have to know what they're going to look at in counting your income and resources. So for that gentleman who asked that question, I, I believe that I'm understanding that the joint account that you have with your brother, it will be best if you remove your name from that account and you open up your own separate account but in your own separate account, it would be best to not put in, you know, too much money in there. Another question? Yeah, that's a great question. She asks, if a person receives only SSI, supplemental security income, because they have low income, but there's other family members, maybe an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, provides them with a check, is there a certain amount of money that that person might be able to receive from friends or other family members each month and still receive SSI? Unfortunately, those are the questions that need to be addressed by the claims representative. But I want to be politically correct here. They can 
give you that kind of support in different ways. Because this was, is what we consider in-kind support and maintenance. If a claims representative wanted to use black and white, if you receive $20 from your mom, that can count against you. So depending on what type of relationship you have and how you massage the rules, yeah. I mean, if if you receive a nice watch, that can count against you. If you receive a nice television. Now, most of the time, claims representatives use that gray area and... To be quite honest, it's actually more work for them. So 20, 50, 100, you know. But, I mean, they're just going to overlook a lot of things. But if you make it blatantly obvious, yeah, I use the example of somebody speeding on the, on the freeway. You know, if you go along with the flow, everything's okay. But if you start darting in and out of traffic, slamming on your brakes, and making a, yourself very visible, then it may cause you... Uh, some problems. So, <laughs> the question is: If a person is on SSI and a friend or a family member gives them a fancy watch, or a television, or even a check for a thousand dollars, or cash, how does Social Security find out about that? Thank you for that question. That's my point exactly. So, if I want to help my brother who's on SSI, and I give him a check, that may be traceable. But if I give them 50, 100, or X dollar amount, that's between he and I. The question is, what if a person is only on SSI and they have inherited, inherited a home from their grandmother? Can that person accept that home without it affecting their SSI? That's a two-fold question. <laughs> the, <clears throat> well, the month that you receive that house, you should not be eligible for SSI. Afterwards, you do have the legal right to reside in a home. So depending on how you and your claims representative examine that, you should be able to keep the home without it affecting your benefits. But the first month, because it is an inheritance, it will count against your SSI. Contrast that to regular disability. That's why uh, we strive for people to earn enough quarters of coverage just to have even $100 on disability. If you were to inherit that home, it wouldn't affect you. The question is, what if a person receives only SSI and then is on an internship where their income is limited to only $200 per month? How does that limited income of $200 per month affect their SSI benefit? I want to reiterate again, SSI is always calculated at the local field office. <clears throat> My general answer is <clears throat> that it can affect your SSI. What effect it will have will determine what other income and resources you have and what the circumstances are. So 
if you were to receive the internship, you should call and report it to your local office and let them – The I always advise people, let's say you're contemplating on getting a job. Sit down and talk to the claims representative and say, I want to start this job and I expect to earn this much. What effect will it have on my benefits? And hash it out before you even make a decision because you don't want to get a letter later on and then be very upset because – you thought it was going to be A, and it turned out to be Z. Every income and resource will affect your SSI. What effect it will have is to be determined between you and the claims representative. So the question is, uh, she understands that if you are a recipient of SSI, Supplemental Security Income, and you have low income, that you can only have resources up to $2,000. But if a person is on SSDI, Social Security Disability Income, can a person still own a home or can a person own an apartment and have rental income and still receive SSDI? That is a major difference between the two programs. If you were to have your own home and buy another property and be on regular disability, that would not affect your disability. You, you paid into the program and basically have paid and earned the rights to be entitled to that monthly amount. What will detract from that is if you go back to work and earn wages. So if you in, have rental income, that still would not reduce your disability payments. Great. Right, next question. Yeah, the question is, uh, this gentleman, he has a job where he has calculated, he has calculated that if he works 24 hours per week, he can still receive his SSDI payment each month. And the question is, if he were to accept full-time work, how might that affect his SSDI? And also another factor that makes the mathematical computation a little more difficult is the consideration if he does work 40 hours a week, how does that affect his Medicare insurance? Well, I have good news for you then, Les. You are entitled to Medicare for 93 months. That's a little over seven years after you come off of your disability. The second thing is keep in mind a brief discussion of blind work expenses and other uh, uh, work-related expenses. So those things can bring you, let's say you're only $200 or $400 over the limit each month. You can substantially reduce that by working with the claims representative and having a, a plan of action and saying, you know, uh, the, the, this is what I'm contemplating and saying, but I do take access, which is 325 each way. I do buy lunch. I do have dry cleaning bills. And I've known of a guy who collected every single receipt, put it in a shopping bag, and said, you figure it out. Okay? <laughs> so, you know, try to understand there are certain incentives to help you to make those decisions. When I was a BEP operator, I found a loophole. I was very diligent. The square footage that 
my facility, uh, my facility was in a county facility. They charged over $2 per square foot. I had an 1,800-square-foot facility, so I said I'm legally entitled to reduce my income by $3,800 a month because that's what they would have charged me for rent, but because I'm in a county facility, I don't get charged that, and they took that under advisement, and I was able to retain my disability. So there are many tools out there, and it's really up to you to be a little creative and um, maybe Social Security would realize I'm not the best person for this. <laughs> but, hey, push the envelope. You're working. We're disabled. The, um, some, some things frustrate me. I went with a friend, and my eyes are pretty scarred up. She has nice contacts. The doctor told me, you have good insurance. Your copay is 1800 the next person came in with Medicaid, it's free. So I asked myself, why am I waking up at 4.30 to go to this stress-induced job, take the bus for over an hour, but, you know, uh, each person has to make up their mind how bad they want to work. Social Security will work with you. In, in your situation, you can use those blind work ex expenses to reduce your salary to maintain your benefits. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can do that. Well, Raquel and I actually put together an email, which I can forward to you, each one of you, um, and that's why I'm a little embarrassed because I did the, the research to make myself ready, but, <laughs> you know, there's just too many numbers to, to have in this old head of mine, but uh, I'll be glad to get that resource to you, and don't forget when you go to socialsecurity.gov, this is an, something that I tested yesterday. If you go to the search box and type in blind work expenses, there's a nice publication. <clears throat> and um, Working While Disabled is a good publication. And it even comes in audio. So the guy will put you to sleep. But... <laughs> Spend a little time listening to that one. Great. Next question. That's a great question. Uh, the question is, this young gentleman, he is a student, and he receives supplemental security income. And he is also a client of the Department of Rehabilitation. His question is, number one, does the benefits that he receives from the Department of Rehabilitation, such as computers and other equipment, does that count against him with his uh, supplemental security income. And number two, he's also applying for scholarships for school. And if he wins a scholarship, is that going to work against him, against that supplemental security income benefit? As part of the work incentive program, SSI has many programs that they try to implement to get you back in the workforce. The Department of Rehabilitation has a special relationship in that they can provide us with, let's say, a computer with JAWS, okay? The cost of that equipment exceeds what you're allowed to own, you know, uh, for SSI purposes. But they even have a program called a PASS program where you can consult with your claims representative. Let's say I'm in a wheelchair and I say, you know, I need this specialized van 
and it's going to cost me 40000 Every month, I would like to put away $200 from my SSI or my income to pay for that. So there are different incentive programs. Your rehabilitation services will not count and reduce your SSI. The scholarship should not, but I would definitely uh, consult the claims representative because I don't want to disadvantage you by my answer. If you're a client of rehab, you're already participating with the Ticket to Work program. Everybody would, who's uh, uh, receiving disability or SSI and is under the age of 65 is automatically entitled to the dis, uh, Ticket to Work program. You don't need an actual ticket. I believe the Maximus is the provider of the services, but rehabilitation also qualifies. That's why you have special, um, yeah, y your rehab services can give you lots of support and resources that should count against you but are not counted against you. Great. Next question. Thank you. The question is, what if there are two people that both receive benefits from Social Security, and if they then happen to get married, but they choose to live separately, how does that affect? Will that affect anything related to their Social Security benefits? In the technical sense, if you are married, both their income will be counted as a couple, regardless of whether you live together or apart. So there's no way around it. So you probably should live together because you'll save money on rent. <laughs> Next question. I think I saw your letter saying that you have been overpaid by $48,000. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yes, Social Security will find out. And yes, you will receive that type of letter. So the question was, would Social Security be able to find out if two people were actually married, but they did not, did not report that they were actually married. Let's say that two people actually were married, but they reported that they were not married. Would Social Security find out? And uh, the answer to that, uh, Gordon basically said a yes, that they will find out. And yes, you probably would receive a letter that would state that they have overpaid you and you will be responsible for that. You know, I have a question about that too, Gordon. In the event that there was a scenario like uh, this one where a person was then asked to repay an exorbitant amount, $48,000, um, how does Social Security really go about that? Most people would not have saved that $48,000. Is this, is this something where are there payment plans or is there a very, very high interest rate or what, what has been your experience in terms of that type of repayment? Well, if a person is on SSI, it's a natural assumption that they're going to have limited income and resources. Taking that into consideration, you can pay us back. The minimum rate usually is 10%. So if you're receiving 710 they will hold back $71, which means that you would be paying back Social Security for quite a long time. But... <laughs> Often what happens is people are repeat offenders. So mm -hmm. they, recur they incur a $2,000 overpayment. 
then they, you know, then they get another letter saying they owe us six thousand dollars more, and it just adds up. So basically, we're going to keep on withholding ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent until that's paid back. In some severe cases, I've looked at records, and they do. If you're receiving, let's just use easy math. They have one thousand dollars disability. Their their disability overpayment is forty eight thousand. They want to have less than 10% withheld. In that case, you would have to make a post-entitlement appointment into the local office, and that has to be negotiated in person, anything less than 10%. Next question? The question is, what if you do receive a letter from Social Security stating that, that they have overpaid you? Is there a process where you can appeal that or argue that? Yes. You should fill out the SSA 561U2 uh, request for reconsideration. And we also have a waiver form that you can fill out on our website. If you have an overpayment of less than $1,000, ask them to do an administrative waiver. And if they ask how you got that term, just say, off the Internet. (laughs) They can waive your overpayment of $1,000 or less, if you can provide you know, some reasonable explanation, we have the power to do that. Yes. yes, question. Yeah, the question is, if you only receive SSI and you receive a letter stating that they have overpaid you, is the maximum that SSI can withhold from your future SSI payments 10%? or can they actually withhold more than that 10%? Our first request is to ask that you pay it back in full. Okay. Secondly, we're going to see, we're going to ask you, well, what can you afford? Okay. The last resort is the minimum is 10%. I've had callers call me, you know what, I have a $3,000 since I worked last year. You know what, they want to hold my entire $1,500 check, but I only want you to hold 800 Then I would make the, the input and change that, to, which is substantially more than 10%. So it's open to negotiation, but we try to have the minimum of 10%. But if you say you can, well, I, I want to just come in and pay this off, of course we're going to say that's fine. Let's see. Does anyone else have a question? People ask me, I lost my Social Security card. What documentation do I need to get one? I would say you need your U.S. passport that's not expired, your driver's license or a state-issued ID. Oh, I don't have that. Then you need to take whatever you have into the local office. They said, well, I have this insurance card. Will they accept it? My answer is I don't know. Until you present it, I can tell you yes. The person at the office can tell you no. So in your question, the technical answer is yes, it should be counted against you. Now, if you go in and you take Mr. Luna's advice and, he's, and you think, okay, I'm not going to be, my SSI will not be reduced and everything goes fine for a while and a new claims representative comes into the office, takes a look at your, your case and sends you that letter, then who's the blame? The, the question, the answers I give, I really try to take people's 
situation and make it so that they're not liable for an overpayment. That, that's my concern. If, like this young lady says, you know, if will they find out we're married? You can go 10 years and not be found out. But if they do find out, you're not going to be very happy. So just talk to the claims representative, get their exact answer, and then you will be better off. Okay, let's see. Let's take two final questions. Are there any questions out there? The question is, if you are attempting to calculate how many hours that you can work and still receive SSDI, do they incorporate and include commuting hours? So I assume you're talking about self-employment? Yes. They do not count your commute towards how many hours you worked. But again, self-employment is something that I'm not very familiar with because they have their own special guidelines. And um, I'm sorry, but I would have to defer you to the local office. And again, Mr. Chang, if, if I'm uh, understanding things correctly, it is not the amount of hours that you work that will necessarily determine whether you can still receive disability income or not. It's more so what is the income that you're making. That's why if a person is earning minimum wage and that person works 30 hours a week, that person may still be able to receive a full benefit of Social Security disability income because working 30 hours a week at, 200 and at, at $8 an hour is $240 hour dollars per week, they would not surpass the $1,740 of income per month. So is, is that right? It is more so your income that you make and not necessarily how many hours you work. You're correct, but in this specific instance for self-employment, special guidelines are looked at, and one of them is how many hours you, you work. I think, I think the threshold is 60 hours per week. So you can double-check that with your claims representative. Great. Okay, one last question for Gordon. Okay. Well, Gordon, I'd like to really thank you for this information and for your honesty. I think it, it's really great that you're able to provide all of us with, with honest answers and such great information. also like to thank uh, Robert Stigo and Raquel Desapeda, Julian Vargas, uh, Jamie Castile for all the work in putting this together. And if any of you are interested, again, in joining the National Federation of the Blind San Fernando Valley chapter, you could contact uh, any one of the, those folks here. And do you also have an email address or a web address for those who are listening to the podcast? Yes. Okay, so the web address is www.nfbc sfv.com and the phone number is 818-457-9449 457-9449 and also last but not least I'd like to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA for doing this recording um, there you'll find just hundreds and hundreds of different podcasts at no charge for anyone who is visually impaired so you could keep up to date with the latest 
So again, we want to thank all of you, and we hope that you join us next time. And we'd also like to thank uh, Tarzano Hospital for allowing us to use their really wonderful facilities here today. So we want to thank everybody. I think this has been very, very helpful. And we'll see you the next time that we have our next event. Thank you.